Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, welcome back to Office Chats, a podcast presented by Madam Blue. I'm your host, Valeria, and today's guests are Janine Seal and Kobe Castan, the founders of Out of Office. Out of Office is a travel app that allows users to discover the best hotels, restaurants, and must-sees curated by their own friends in their network. Users can filter their searches according to their budget, whether they're looking for something fancy or casual, pet-friendly, group options, etc. Instead of searching through text, Instagram DMs, or Yelp to curate your next getaway, you can find everything you need in the Out of Office app. In this episode, I chat with Janine and Kobe about their journey to launching Out of Office, the importance of representation, their advice for female founders, and much more. Let's get into the show. Janine and Kobe, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I've been looking forward to our conversation about your journey to founding out of office. But before we begin, can you both just introduce yourselves and give me a little bit of background on your career? Sure. I can go first. And thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here. So my name is Kobe. I started my career in film and television. So I did that for sort of a number of years. I worked my way up in that world. And when I left, I was a TV producer. That's an Emmy Award right behind me. For what but, show? Um, it's a little embarrassing. It was a court show here in Chicago and we won an Emmy. And I, after doing that, was kind of like, okay, I, I don't feel excited or fulfilled by this at all. Um, I didn't feel challenged. Not to knock being a television producer. It's such hard work. And I'm so glad I did it because it really was such a grind. And I think it really taught me work ethic, but it just wasn't sort of my passion. And so I left and joined Trump Club, which was a startup at the time here in Chicago. And that's where Jan and I met. We both started there um, in 2011. There were about 20 people when we started. We both stayed, not to steal Jan's background and thunder, but we both stayed for about seven years. And the company went had grown from 20 to 1200. We went through the Nordstrom acquisition. And so we learned a ton. And then after that, I went to a uh, startup here in Chicago, another startup called Cameo. And again, sort of started there when it was very early. So really before out of office, I've been in sort of the consumer technology startup scene for the last decade. Very cool. And an Emmy is never embarrassing. doesn't matter what the show was. <laughs> you gotta toot your own horn sometimes. <laughs> it's a good sort of fun fact and like party trick to <laughs> be like, hey, look, there's an Emmy or two truths and a lie. It's always good for that game. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. And you didn't steal much of my thunder. I still have thunder left, Kobe. But uh, nice to meet you as well and excited to be here. But my name's Jan Seal. And I've really been in the consumer space my entire career. After graduating from Cornell, I worked for The Gap 
at the corporate headquarters out in San Francisco for several years. Did a ton of different roles within an organization. I did finance, financial planning, merchandising. I did it all. Was really, really glad for that experience. I didn't have the dissimilar experience to Kobe where I woke up one day and said, this isn't what I want to do forever. I don't want my boss's job. Like, what do I do next? And in natural fashion, I started to study for my GMATs and apply to business school. In that process, I had met Brian Spaley, who founded Trunk Club. I decided to pack my bags, move across the country to Chicago and join Trunk Club, like Kobe said. I was there for a little other seven years. And I think it's really what set me on a journey toward entrepreneurism. Kobe and I actually had the idea for out of office when we were both at Trunk Club and then ultimately said, let's make sure this is what we want to go do next. And so I went and took a job at a company called Havenly, um, another consumer startup in the interior design space on their executive team and was there for a little under three years, oversaw revenue, innovation, and strategy. And from there, we started out of office in 2020. For those who are unfamiliar with your company out of office, can you describe your app and the service that it offers? We are a social travel app. Why we really created out of office is Jan and I travel a lot. And we travel together, we travel apart. Every time we would plan a trip, it was a total mess of trying to get recommendations that we could trust, aggregate those recommendations, plan and organize. And it was like, we were texting people, we were saving notes on our phones, we were saving posts on Instagram. And essentially, we've created a platform that allows you to do all of that in one place. So you can, it's sort of predicated on this notion that you trust your friends and maybe influencers that you think of as friends, and you trust their recommendations. And so when you go on a trip, you want to go somewhere that's trusted. You don't know that person on TripAdvisor or Yelp and what their four or five stars is. Is it the same as your four or five stars? You just have no way to calibrate that. But I know Jan's taste and I trust Jan's taste. And so I can calibrate and I can say, okay, Jan and I have very similar tastes. I'm going to trust a hotel or a restaurant or a trip that she recommends. And so without of office, you can follow friends, find friends, invite friends. You can see all the places your friends recommend and influencers recommend. And then you can start to get inspiration for future trip. And then you can organize and start to plan travel all in one place. What I also really love about the app is that you can filter everything by like budget and also what kind of experience you're looking for. I think some of the filters are like casual, you know, good for groups, that type of thing. And I think that's something really beneficial that, like you said, you really have to dig if you're not looking for something that's all in one place. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's exciting. I feel like so much of what we do and what we have are things that seem like very, very intuitive that no one's really quite unlocked how to do it. And so how do you put that all in one platform, make your life easier as you're trying to get inspiration and plan a trip? Is the app that exists today what you envisioned at the start of your journey or did your idea change and adopt new forms along the way? Largely, I'd say it's our original vision. I think what we always say today is we probably have about one quarter of the platform we want to have over the course of time. We think out of office can have a lot more utility, have a lot more value to add to folks. But what we've known is the problem that we're solving has remained consistent. How we do it will likely change and evolve over time. 
but we're still doing at the core what we sought out to do. And I think we're doing a, a nice job of it to date. Yeah. Well, let's go back to your startup journey for a little bit. What were the first steps you took to get your business off the ground once you two came together and were discussing like, hey, this is a problem we're seeing every time we travel. Let's do something to fix it. To your point, there were some initial conversations around, okay, this is a problem. We have this idea for how we can solve it. Let's put pen to paper on what that might look like. And I think we both knew that it was probably an application as opposed to like a website. And this notion of being able to follow people and find their recommendations and save recommendations for places you've been. Once we were sort of aligned on how we would solve it, I think we wanted to do a little research on like what competitors are out there. What's the total addressable market? How big's travel? How big of a problem is this? Then we sort of got to work on like, who do we want to target? And, and how do we want to go to market? And I think we did a lot of that work on the front end before we even really had a product just to understand like, are we aligned on how we're going to execute on solving this? And then from there, neither of us are technical founders. And so we knew that this was a technical solution. And so it was important for us to get a really strong team on board that could help us build. And, and that was like really the first big thing we did is find an amazing CTO and found an amazing head of product. Was the initial team the four of you and then you, you grew it from there or what did that like startup team look like? Yeah, it was the four of four. us. It was Kobe and I, and then those two on our team. And, you know, we kind of sold them our vision. So this is what we think we want to build. This is how we want to do it. What do you guys think? And brought them along um, from the very, very beginning. And they have been a dynamic part of our team since day one. And so I'd say the four of us are kind of stewards of, of the company and, and the vision of the company. And then we've continued to grow over the past, you know, year and a half, two years. Um, you know, we're inching up over 10 employees and things are continuing to grow on a daily basis. So we've come a long way since that original kind of conversation, the original time we started with those two as well. Nice. That's very exciting. Well, I also read that you all closed a $1.6 million pre-seed round and then have since gone on to close another round of seed funding for a total of around $5 million, if I have that correct. Can you all explain the difference between each of those rounds and then any key decisions you made that you feel helped you successfully close each? We built out of office while also fundraising for out of office at the same time. That pre-seed round was what we knew we needed to do to A, be able to pay the team, to get the right people on, to build the product. It was pre-seed because we were pre-revenue. We didn't really have a product yet. And so that pre-seed round was really just to prove that we could build out what we wanted to build. And so we raised a fairly large pre-seed round. Most pre-seed rounds are anywhere between like call it 500 and, and really a million. So we were a little on the high side. We got a lot of excitement, a lot of interest about what we were building. And then shortly after that, we launched publicly um, in August of 2019. People got excited about what we were building. They liked the brand and how we were showing up. And I think it got some investors' attention. And so we raised a, a seed round fairly quickly on the back of that to really be able to build out, like I said, the rest of the platform that we really think that can dynamically change the way people travel. You said that you were fundraising while you were building the product and sort of building your team. How did you get your people on board to be okay with the unknown of, you know, what exactly the company was going to be like, you know, whether or not they were going to receive benefits and all of that? Can you tell me what that was like? 
Jan and I both had a very strong vision for what we were building, but until we had raised funding, we couldn't pay anyone, right? We were able to, you know, come to an agreement where we could offer equity in exchange for their services. And then the agreement being, once we raise money, we can bring you on full time and we'll be able to pay you. And then, you know, that equity obviously becomes a lot more meaningful. And so that's sort of how we structured it. But like I said, I think it was really reliant on us having a strong vision for what we wanted to build and getting people sort of bought into that vision as well. And I'm sure that comes with building a strong company culture where everyone feels like they're a part of their team and they feel comfortable like coming to you with their own ideas and everything like that. Yeah, I'd say like, you know, it's important for COVID. I would talk about this all the time. You know, we have values and missions, all that today. But even that early on, we knew that like to Kobe's point, we weren't technical and we wanted to have people that had not only experience, but a vision for what we wanted to build and had an opinion. And we, we pride ourselves on having a team that has both autonomy and authority to make decisions um, and make mistakes. And that was really critical. And I think that's part of the selling point of this was, this is what we want to build. You tell us how to build it. You tell us what we need to do and we'll trust you. And we built that trust really, really early on. And I think it's a great hallmark of the company that we've begun to build. That's awesome. Yeah. I think when employees feel trusted, they are more invested in like the outcome of the company because they feel like they're really a key part of it. Exactly. Well, when we first spoke, we discussed the fact that only 2% of venture capital funding goes to women. Can you all tell me about your experience as female founders in a male-dominated space and the impact you've seen that representation can have? It's funny. It's not funny. It's actually depressing. Um, Jan and I often say, you know, we have been in the startup world for over 10 years. We have some great connections to people in venture, to angels, and it was still really challenging for us. And I think, you know, we're, we often feel like, okay, we kind of started on third base, right? Like we had this experience, we had this network and it's still challenging for us. And so I can't imagine how challenging it must be for people who, haven't had time to build those connections or haven't, you know, come from the startup world and, and, and know people in venture um, that they can leverage. You know, Jan is one of a hundred black women that have ever raised over a million in venture capital, which is like, you know, these are really sort of depressing statistics. It's an interesting and sad dynamic in general around it, right? Like I want us to get to a day where Kobe and I don't have to call ourselves female founders. I'm, we are founders of a company, a successful tech company, and that's how we should be defined. It shouldn't have to be about our race or our gender. I think those are important distinctions because it's such a challenge being a part of these demographics to raise capital and to raise money. And a big part of what Kobe and I are very passionate about, as she mentioned, is we've had so much experience. Again, we were kind of on third base with this. And so how do we start to bring other people along on our journey? People who don't have the access, the network, the things that we were able to amass in our careers. We want to be able to bring people along with us that, that don't have those things and teach them the ropes and give them the opportunity and give them those connections because that's how we dynamically change the way the venture community works. Largely, that's what we're seeing. People are starting to invest more. They're taking more risks, but it will always be challenging, right? A lot of times, 
men lead the VC world. And so they invest in businesses that are like, oh, you're a woman. If you build a business for a woman, I get that. If you're building a business for a man, it could be more challenging. And so there's lots of nuances to this. And I do, I'm glad that it's evolving. I'm glad there's a lot of people talking about it. At the end of the day, it's going to take time. And, you know, female-led businesses are largely more successful in the venture space over time. And that's because I think women tend to have to be that much better, that much more impressive, have a better network, have raised more money, do all the things better than everyone else for them to get the success that they've had. And so being able to kind of pass those skills along into the female community is really, really critical for us. I love that you all are making it a priority to help other people, help other women get to where you are. Because like you said, the fact that you all had all those connections, all that experience, and it was still challenging, like for people who are just starting from mm-hmm. scratch, it's just that much more difficult to get into certain spaces and connect with certain people. Exactly. So the community is important and it's about building up this community in general. And I think there's a lot of people that are working hard to build this out from that perspective. And so we're just kind of getting on board with that as well. Very cool. Is there anything that you all learned from your extensive career backgrounds that you made a point not to do? Like something you (laughs) learned at a company that you're like, okay, this is something I do not want to do at all when I have my own business. Yeah. Where, where do we start? <laughs> I, I do think that list is probably long and I'll start with one. I know Kobe will have more to say too, but I feel like, you know, we came up um, in the startup world in like, you know, the 2010s, right? And it was when startups were becoming um, really at the forefront of technology. And there was this work hard, play hard mentality that was happening and you'd work, you know, nine, 10, 12 hour days, and then you party all night. And then you've seen all the documentaries that are out right now around WeWork and Uber and all these things. And we were definitely a part of that world and it was exhausting and it was really fun and it was challenging. We learned a lot, but I think what, what I would say I learned the most was that worked for a period of time until it didn't. And we never wanted to build an organization that felt exactly like that. We wanted to, you know, embrace the ability to have work-life balance and be able to embrace the world of you can work and really care about something, be passionate about something. It doesn't have to be your end-all be-all and that you can build something, be a part of something really, really exciting and cool and also have a personal life. And I think that was something that I learned. I I will take every experience that I've ever had and I've learned a lot from it, good, bad, or ugly. But that to me is one that was really, really important. I think the sort of work-life integration is very important. I almost, it's kind of like, it, it reminds me of the term female founder, right? Like can, one day we'll just be founders. And I understand why, you know, work-life balance became a term and a thing because it, clearly people weren't having that, but it's kind of, you know, again, a little depressing that we had to remind ourselves that like, oh, there's something outside of just working called living and, <laughs> and having a life. And like, it's important that you have that. So I agree with Jan. And I also think, you know, there was a point we had talked about starting out of office when we were just coming out of Trunk Club five years ago. So, and I'm glad that we both went on and had other experiences that I think um, now, you know, having more confidence in sort of our ability and our leadership has allowed us to you know, probably trust people more and be more hands-off. And, you know, I think what's important to me and, and I'm sure Jan as well is, you know, having a company where people have autonomy, 
where we can trust people to, we bring them on for a reason and we trust them to make the decisions. And, you know, I think we both have the confidence where we don't need to be involved in every little facet of the business. Um, it's important that we know what's going on. Um, but I think sort of having the confidence to take a step back and, and the humility to know, like, it's good to hire people that are, you know, better than us and who are, you know, smarter and can do things better. Um, it's only going to make the company more successful in the long run. For sure. What advice would you all give to other founders who are just preparing to start their own businesses, like pitching to investors and growing their careers? Do you have any words of advice you could share there? Um, I think part of it's like, you just have to do it. I think Colby and I always talk about, we try not to think about the long-term or the big picture too often. You just have to get in the weeds and do the thing you need to do and know that there's iteration after iteration of what you're going to need to do to be able to raise that capital, to get people excited and that you'll have more no's than yeses. I think on average, the first people, when you're trying to raise um, your first round of funding, folks generally talk to over 300 no's before they get a yes. Like that's a lot of conversations. It is a kick to the gut a lot when you're so excited and so passionate about something, but all you need is one. It takes one person to believe in you. It takes one check to get that ball rolling. And so don't let all the no's discourage you. Don't let other people's opinions, everyone will have an opinion on what's been done before, who's done it better, why this isn't going to work and take all of that. You take it with a grain of salt, take it and learn from it and keep moving. If you believe in your vision and you believe in your company, those no's don't matter. And there'll be days when you want to like put your head down and not hear anyone say anything negative about your business ever again. And you got to get up the next day and do it again. Just know that it's part of the process and no one will know more about your business than you. And you have to hold on to that every single day because it can get discouraging, but it's all worth it in the end. Jen, I feel like you should be a motivational speaker. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice. I'm not always that motivational. You can probably ask <laughs> She hears the other side of it. <laughs> I think that's right. I also think I was always stuck on wanting to start a company. You know, we had talked about out of office before. We've been ruminating on it for years, but it was kind of like, okay, how do, how do you start it? Like, how do you just take that leap? Like, I need a, an income. Like, how am I going to not pay myself for an extended period of time? And I think it was really challenging. And I think to Jan's point, you kind of just have to do it. And for us, it meant like, I did some consulting, Jan did some consulting. We were able to sort of like make some money and then, you know, work on this in tandem. And then also, you know, it meant changing my lifestyle a little bit, right? Like I did have to, I'm not saying you have to like eat ramen out of a cup, but like some people might say, um, but I think like, you know, for me, I was, very passionate about starting this company. And I think it did require some shifts in sort of my lifestyle. And that was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sacrifices think- that are like worth it in the long run. Yeah. You have to be willing to put it all on the table kind of thing. You know, Kobe and I always say to Kobe, I put all my eggs in this basket. Well, I'd be fine if out of office didn't work. Yes, of course. I'll find a job. I'll find all the other things. But you did have to say like, this is where I'm going to put my heart, my soul, my passion, everything in this thing. Because I think that's the way you make sure it works, right? Like I, you know, I'm a single woman with a single income and like I wasn't making money for a long time. So how do I make that work? And I think it's a challenge of why a lot of women don't start businesses. Um, it's why the demographics of who start businesses looks very, very similar across the board. It's people with support systems and 
other income or family money. There's all these different dynamics in the venture world of why it works. And I think we're trying to break that mold a bit. If you can do things differently, it does take change and sacrifice. But again, I think I think it's worth it um, from the experience alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like you both said, it is. it can be scary, right? Especially if to take care of yourself completely financially, but there are small things you could do like having another job in the meantime yep. or picking things up here and there. So thank you both for sharing that advice. What are some of your favorite travel destinations that you use your own app out of office to go and like plan for that you think other people should go check out? There's so many. I mean, people are traveling. You're seeing it right across the board. Everyone was tired of being inside their homes for the past two years and people are really getting out there and experiencing the world. I don't know, my favorite, like Italy is probably one of my favorite places in the world, mostly because it's so diverse in the things that you can get when you're there, whether you want to go to the coast or whether you want to go to wineries or whether you want a really great cultural experience in Rome or in Florence. It's just so vast. And I think you can get, I've been there several times and every time my experience is widely different than the last one. And I love that about it where it doesn't feel like it's so homogenous. So that's probably my favorite place. Um, There's a ton of places I'd love to visit too, which I've never been to. So that list is very long. I think in terms of where people can find great recommendations in out of office, um, you know, there's a lot of recommendations from our community in, you know, the big cities in New York, in LA, in Chicago, Charleston is somewhere I go usually several times a year. I have some good friends there. It's a city that I love. And we have so many great recommendations from the out of office community, from some Charleston influencers there. And we've done a lot of content from out of office in Charleston. And then Paris is another place um, where you'll see a lot of great recommendations. It's one of our probably top 10 most recommended cities in, in the app. Um, and so, you know, even if you don't follow friends, you can filter to um, view everyone's recommendations and you can see places in Paris that maybe you've never heard of. You can sort by what are the most recommended places. And then you can see, okay, this person recommended these five things. Let's see what other recommendations they have. So you could start to calibrate again, that, that taste level with, with yours. Um, and, but Paris and, and Charleston are some of my favorite places as well. Awesome. Yeah. I love all of those cities. I haven't been to Charleston yet, but it is on my bucket list. I've heard it's a fun girls trip destination. So I'm trying to make that happen at some point. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You should go. Has there been any responses from out-of-office users that have made you feel particularly excited about what you've created and just like happy to have built a community of travelers all over the world? Yeah, I think we get it all the time. And I think it's humbling every time you hear it. We talked about it in our team meeting this morning, right? You get people that reach out and they're, I want to work with you. I like, this is amazing. Or how do I work for out of office? Or I've been wanting this solution. I've been wanting a, like to be able to solve the problem of how do I plan a trip? How do I get recommendations from people that matter? Whether that means from users or whether it's from influencers who say, this is saving my life because I'm no longer having to spend so much time answering DMs or reposting things that I posted over and over again. It can all live in one place. And so every time we hear those things, it's validating to know that we're solving a problem that's worth solving and that people want. And so I feel like we hear it every day and, you know, we still have to do a better job and we're very critical of the experience and how do we make it better? And we 
make this the best possible experience for people. But every time you hear one of those things, it's really validating. And I think it makes it feel like all the work we're doing is worth it. What What would you say for each of you has been the most challenging part of creating out of office and what is the most fulfilling? I feel like you just kind of answered the second part, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you have anything else to add there. No, I think it's funny. People always talk about the entrepreneurial journey or like the founder's journey. It's like one day you're like, we're doing amazing. We, we have the best company and the best idea. And the next it's like, oh my God, is this going to work? Are we doing this right? I think it's a roller coaster of emotions. You know, one day you could be super up and, and, get so much validation and me feeling really good about what you're building in the next day, something happens, you get, you know, 10 no's if you're fundraising or whatever it is, something falls through, a partnership doesn't work out and you feel really low. And so I think, you know, it's challenging to kind of ride that and, and, but also not ride it, right? Like you don't want to ride the highs too high, maybe and the lows too low. And so that's always challenging. And I think fundraising is challenging, but it's also Um, I think something Jan and I almost enjoy doing, you know, sort of selling our vision and getting to articulate our passion and, and why we believe so much in what we're building, but building a team and being able to, you know, work so closely with people that you really admire and respect is probably my favorite part. And, you know, not to sound cheesy, but there's that saying, it's like, find something you love. I'm going to butcher it. (laughs) Find something you love and you'll never have to work again. And that's truly, you know, how I feel every day. It's like, I I love being part of this company. I love what we're doing. I love what we're building. I love the community that we're building. Um, So really, you know, I get excited to wake up and and get to focus and work on this every day. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure doing it with your friend is makes it just that much more better. That's what I was going to add was literally, I think, you know, we talk a lot about and hear a lot about what it's like to found a company. Being a solo founder, I think is a really lonely journey. And I honestly couldn't imagine doing this on my own. And I'm so fortunate to have Kobe by my side to do this with as as a partner and as a friend. And, you know, we started off as coworkers first, since we worked together for a number of years, we became very close friends. And I don't think there's anyone in the world that I ever would want to do this with besides Kobe, because we understand each other, good, bad, and ugly. We know each other really well. We're like family. And so there's a way that we know how to call each other out on our bullshit. We know when to challenge each other. And we know when to say like, you know, you've done a great job. And it's nice to have someone in the trenches with you that you trust implicitly in a way that I did never really imagine having a partner would be like. And so I think that's a really critical part of a lot of our success that we've had to date is our relationship and our friendship and our working relationship. That's actually a perfect segue into my next question. Because you all have a unique perspective on what it's like mixing business and friendship. And I know you previously worked together. So I'm sure that was like a good test to see like, how well do we work together at a different company? Um, But what would you say are some keys to having a successful business partnership with your friend? You know, it can be challenging. This is like, it's like being married, right? Like, it's like you're married to your business partner. And I think, you know, love at first sight is like a reality show for a reason. And so if you go into a business partnership with someone you don't know, I think that comes with its own host of challenges. The differentiator for us is we started it as coworkers. 
And so we worked together, that sort of our first relationship was as colleagues. And then we became friends. But when we decided to go into business together, I think to Jan's point, we already knew, we kind of knew how each other worked. We'd worked together already. We know when to call each other out. We know when to, we need to like talk something out and then we move on. And so nothing festers and builds. We lay it all out on the table. And I think that is such a critical part. We have an amazing executive coach who's kind of like our business or she's like a marriage counselor, honestly, if you (laughs) compare this to a marriage. Those things are so important. I think the biggest thing for any relationship, whether that is a marriage or a friendship or a business partnership is open lines of communication. I think being candid and open is critical because if you don't sort of say what you're feeling and, and talk through that stuff, it just festers and builds. And that's when I think things can get really challenging. Communication is key. It's such a cliche, but it's very true. It is. And it's funny, you know, like in the years that we didn't work together after Trunk Club, you know, Kobe's the first person I'd call. Whenever I had a challenge or I was frustrated or I didn't know how to solve something, like she'd be the first person I went to. And so for me, that was a great sign of like, no matter what, even if we never worked together again, Kobe was going to be a part of my professional career because she offered advice and insight so making sure that that relationship is solid, that was probably the easiest part of, of starting this company together was we knew that the foundation was there. Of course, it evolves and it changes, but we'd spent so much time doing that while we were together that this just felt like it was the next natural step for us. Mm-hmm. Can you all tell me what is next for Out of Office? Are there any future plans you're excited about or a goal for the future that you can share? Yeah, I think one of the big things we are working on right now is our recommendation engine. We want to be the place you go to when you not only know where you're going and need recommendations that you could trust, but also maybe you want inspiration. You don't know where you want to go. You want to take a trip. You want to go driving distance. You want to go with kids and you don't want to spend too much money and you want to know someone to tell you where to go. That's what we are building into the product, right? Is this ability to be like, we know about what you will like or what you won't like based on data we have. And and we can start to inform personalization and give you recommendations based on what we know about you as a traveler and as a user. That's a really exciting piece of what out of office is and will be in the future. That's exciting. So like if someone's, you're seeing that they're taking more like camping trips or just driving rather than flying, then you can tailor recommendations to their preferences. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Well, um, Janine and Kobe, I usually like to close out by asking our guests to provide a final piece of advice for the audience. So has there been a memorable moment in your career journey where you learned a valuable lesson on entrepreneurship? The thing that I've learned the most is that this sounds, again, cheesy and cliche, but failure is feedback. You have to be okay with failing and making mistakes. And this is not going to be a perfect journey. You're not always going to have the right answer. You're not always going to do the right thing. And those failures are always feedback that are going to lead you in the right direction. So don't be afraid to go and try the thing that you think is a crazy idea or try to go do this marketing idea that may not work. If it doesn't work, that's okay. Take the learnings and apply it to the business. And I think for a long part of my career, I thought I had to be perfect. I had to be the smartest person in the room, the loudest voice in the room, and I could never make a mistake. And I think that was a hindrance to my development and my growth versus feeling like I know well enough to know that I'm okay with taking this risk. I know what the calculated part of this risk is. And if it works great, if it doesn't, I'll take that and I'll make something else work. And so that's, that's something I 
try to stick with every single day as we make business decisions. That's a really good one, Jan. I like that. And I would also say surrounding yourself with people that will make you better and that will help you grow is obviously very critical as well. Mm -hmm. Well, Janine and Kobe, thank you so much for sharing not just your journey, your career journey, but also all this amazing advice. Before I let you go, can you please let everyone know where they can keep up with you and out of office online, on social media, all that good stuff? For sure. You can download our app in the app store. It's out of office in the app store. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok and on LinkedIn at take me out of office. And um, my name's Kobe Caston, C-O-A-B-I. That's my Instagram handle. Um, and you can find me there, just Kobe. And I'm all the same things, except for I'm just at Jan Seal on Instagram. It's not that exciting or interesting to follow me on Instagram at all, but out of office is definitely exciting and interesting. Thank you to Janine and Kobe for joining me on the podcast. And thank you to everyone listening. I hope you join us next week for a new episode of Office Chats. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.